Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. Uh, awesome season and a time that we're in right now. And uh, if you recall, my wife, she made a statement saying in regards to that this is a season of the new. In fact, that God is doing a new thing and that God is purposing to get the attention of people and the hearts of man. And we just got to hook up and cooperate with what God's doing, right? I don't know about you, but I want some new things in life. I want some new experiences with God. I want to see God do some new things within the life of our church family and just in our city. Amen? And so I just want to stir us up this morning in regards to remembering this or remembering some things that God has commissioned us to and called us to and what it looks like to put ourselves in remembrance to the heart of God. Because as we do, then our faith begins to engage and hook up with what God has said. Amen? How many of you know it's real easy to look back and say, wasn't it good back then? Wasn't it good when? Uh, My wife, she said it to me the other day. She said, man, if I go back in my 20s, do it all over again, knowing now what I knew, knowing then what I know now. She says, man, that'd be great. I don't know about you, 20, maybe 30-something, but man, 20s, that was a, I don't know. Maybe, maybe going back to my 20s when I first met you, I mean, that was like the best ever, right? And then our first year of marriage, now this is not that she was asking, but she often says, you know, that first year of marriage was just so awesome. And we had a townhouse at the time, so we didn't have any responsibilities of being homeowners, and it's the first year of marriage. You know, we both had good jobs, and, you know, it was, and we, we lived in a town, a little area where, you know, man, we could go out walking, and like I said, I didn't have to cut grass. She didn't have to do, you know, diapers or anything like that, and she's like, wasn't that just great? And she goes, but after that, it's just turned into work. <laughs> Welcome to life, you know. So anyways, praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, in talking about remembering this, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 12, it says this. It says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know just as I am known. Now think about that. He says, right now we look in a mirror dimly. Now, I don't know if you're like me. In fact, I saw somebody put this on Facebook the other day. They said, you know, it seems like whenever I look in the mirror, it's like, wow, you look good. And then you take a selfie and you're like, what happened between the selfie and the mirror, man? Something something drastically changed, you know. And isn't it interesting how you can see yourself at different times and you look at yourself from day to day and because you're looking at yourself from day to day, you don't see the subtle changes that are taking place in your life until you take a snapshot of yourself and you're thinking, wow, dear God, do I really look that way? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I can look in the mirror and I'm thinking, all right, you know, you don't look that bad. And then you take a picture next to somebody and think, am I really that fat? Oh, my gosh, man. 
do I got that many wrinkles? Is, is the gray hair coming in like that? But again, what do we do? We look in the mirror and we're reminded of so many things about ourselves or about life, right? And oftentimes in looking at the mirror figuratively, what we oftentimes do are looking at things in the past, whether they were better, whether they were worse, and we continually compare them to where we're at right now. But the Bible says, listen, you're seen in a different light. God sees you differently. He says, regardless of what you see right now, you're only seeing in part. But when you stand face to face with God, you're going to see yourself in the fullness of how he's always seen you. So that tells me that if when I stand before God, I'm going to truly be seen and see myself the way God sees me, that also tells me that I can begin to see myself a little bit differently here and now rather than just what I'm constantly seeing in the mirror. Or the things that are taking place within my life that seems to be the rut or just the constant that I live in, that there's more that God desires for my life. There's the new that God's talking about. There's something that I'm wanting to do, but yet you've not yet seen it. But does that mean that God don't want us to see it? Oh, no. He desires for us to begin to experience the newness of what He's wanting to reveal in our life. The best is still yet to come. I said the best is yet to come. Amen. I'm telling you what, for the church, God said before he comes, it's going to get real good. Now, he said all around you, he said it's going to get real bad. But that's where there's going to be the separation. He says, I want to remind you in the day that you're living in, it may seem as though it's difficult and it might seem like it's hard. You might feel like you're constantly running up the hill rather than getting some reprieve and going down the hill. He says, there's coming a time that when the hour is coming before my return, it's going to get real dark, but for the life of the believer that is trusting me, it's going to get real good. You know why it's got to get real good? Because in those last days, the Bible says that God's looking for a church without spot or wrinkle. Meaning he's looking for a glorious church, he says. And what that means is that those that are hurting, those that are in the world that are looking for some kind of satisfaction, looking for something to bring completion to their life, are going to look to us that are stepping into the new thing that God is doing and saying, how do you do it? How is it that in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, you still got a smile on your face and it seems that you're going above and not coming beneath? You're actually rising rather than sinking because God wants to invest in us And he wants us to experience just all the goodness of what he wants us to know. He says, you don't necessarily just have to wait till then. Once you get there, you will see in full. But you can still come to a place of knowing what I desire for you. John chapter 10 verse 10, he says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly in quality and quantity. Amen. How many of you can say the quality of my life can increase any day? (laughs) amen or you say you know what the quantity to what i'm experiencing uh it can increase any day i'm ready for that absolutely well that's god's promise to us but yet the bible goes on to say here as we read in first corinthians chapter 13 he says we'll be known as we are known or we will know as we are known but verse 13 says but but now and now abides faith hope and love 
And out of these three, it says, the greatest of these is love. So listen, he says, I desire some awesome things for you to experience and to know and to walk in and to live in in this day and in this hour. He said, but it's going to take faith. It's going to take hope. And it's going to take love. In fact, the greatest of all these is love. Amen. How many of you know it's, we're living in a time that walking in love is not a knee-jerk reaction? No, people will cuss you out, flip you off, right? They'll fight you. They'll cut you off in traffic. In fact, one of our own church members, whether this was something that was intentional, uh, again, it sounds like uh, there's a lot of things that are coming out in it, but Randy uh, uh, was in a car accident just uh, a couple days ago. Uh, he was driving down the expressway, and he said a semi cut him over, ran him right into the ro- uh, wall of, the, of the, the expressway there. I mean, it was, and the guy turned around and started to blame him, said, well, it was your fault. And the witness says, no, you just slammed right into him. And come to find out, he's got a broken neck and a broken back. Just because people can be ignorant. Now, again, I don't know that guy's intention, but, again, road rage is more and more all the time, right? Just because people are disgruntled with life. Well, everybody wants to know, what are we here for? What's the meaning of life? In fact, I remember watching a program. Uh, Anybody remember Everybody Loves Raymond? (laughs) And something happened within the family. And if you've watched the show, you know it was a sitcom, and obviously it's this silly stuff, and it's... Uh, more than anything just to make you laugh. But uh, there's always those opportunities where, you know, something happens within the family and then there's that sobering moment within the program that causes you to think. They take a little bit more of a serious turn. Well, in, in that moment of whatever happened within the family, they're all gathering around. I think it was Raymond and was it Deborah, the wife, and then who's the tall brother? Robert, yes. They're, they're all sitting there in the living room and they're asking the question, What's the meaning of life? What's it all about? What's it all for? And they all, one by one, started answering the question of what they thought the meaning of life was. And as they answered it, every answer was shallow. Every answer was empty. Every answer was without meaning. But yet, people continually ask that question. What am I here for? What is it all about? What's the reason for our existence? Well, again, let's remember what God has said. Let's take the moment to remember this. As I said, everybody begins to ask the question, what's it all about? And it seems as though it's those affairs of life, those things that tend to shake us to the core, that begins to sober us, right? To take inventory. In fact, if you recall, it was just a matter of a few years ago when people's lives were shaken and when people were asking the question when life didn't make sense. And people were looking for answers. Does anybody remember 9-11? It wasn't too long ago, was it? Do you recall? It was one of those events in history that I remember exactly where I was at and what I was doing in the moment that I heard it on the news. I was working for General Motors. I had a radio sitting right next to me on the job that I was working. And I remember listening. And the first thing I thought was, this this has got to be one of those morning joke stories that they're doing. 
And the more you listen to it, you're like, dear God, this is serious. And it shook the nation. It began to beg the question, what's going on? For those that have lost their lives, lost family members, it left people looking for answers. And do you know that after 9-11, the churches across the nation began to be filled? It was unprecedented. It was historically, statistically noted that the churches were packed and filled with people when tragedy struck our nation. And people were saying, what's the answer? What's the meaning of life? What do we have to do to shake ourselves to get to a place of saying, we've got to prioritize and look at things from a different perspective because something has shaken us to our core. Right? But the interesting thing is, is that it wasn't but just a few weeks later that as fast as the churches were filled, the churches were emptied. Well, here's the thing. Everybody wants answers. And when we look at ourselves individually and we'll ask that question, what's my purpose? What's my meaning? All of us want to find acceptance. All of us want to find respect. We want to have value and worth in the eyes of somebody else. We don't necessarily just want to exist. At the end of the day, what makes us feel fulfilled is the fact that somebody finds value in us. That somebody sees worth within us. And we live this life looking at it from somebody else's vantage point saying, I want it from my wife, I want it from my family, I want it from my coworkers. When the Bible says all along, it says that God has seen your worth from heaven. He says, I I value you. He says, you've only seen it in part. He said, there's one day that you're going to come to know how much I truly do value you. How much worth I do see in you. But that doesn't mean that we have to wait. But so many people are looking and searching for the meaning of my existence. Why am I here? Mother Teresa said this, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather feelings of being unwanted, uncared for, and deserted by everybody and everyone. Come on. There are a lot of people that are hurting. There are a lot of people that are within your own church that are asking that question. Does anybody care? Does anybody see my value? This entire community that we live in, people are asking that question. Does does anybody care? And unfortunately, they start to look at man. They start to look at government. They start to look at agencies to provide and take care of and see my value and see my worth. And you do something to validate me rather than saying, I've got a part to play in it. But then furthermore, recognizing that God has placed a value in their life. And sees them as having worth. Everybody just wants to be cared for. Remember what it says here in verse 13. He says, God sees your worth. He says, but furthermore. He says, there's faith. There's hope. And there's love. 
Where can those things be found? In church. Not that the church is the end-all, be-all, but I will say this, the church is the hope of the world. Because when you come to church, that's where you'll find faith, hope, and love. Amen? Why do we find so many people within the church that are struggling with their identity, struggling with their value, struggling with their worth? Why do we see so oftentimes people that just neglect, if you will, coming to church? It's because they don't see the value of what church provides for them in producing and giving faith, hope, and love. Here's a statistic for you. 65% of our teenagers in this lifetime, in this era, once they reach the age of 18, they will never step foot back in church again. It begs the question as to why. It goes back to that one question where we said people are looking for answers. 9-11 happens. The tragedy strikes. People fill the church, but as fast as it's filled, it's emptied out again. Children that get to the age of 18, they come to the place and say, well, you know what? I don't want no more of that anymore. Why? Because they've not understood or had the opportunity to remember this of the value of the local church or your family coming together and in that place experiencing faith, hope, and love. Amen. Faith, hope, and love. This has been a pretty crazy week. The last couple weeks, actually. I've had individuals call me and say, you know, Dad went back into ICU. Another individual called and says, man, got in a car accident. Another one called and says, had to go into the hospital. They kept me overnight. And I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Well, where do you go to find your faith restored? Where do you go to experience hope? Where do you go to experience love? Your church family. If you can't get it there, where can you get it? Amen? If I can't get validation or my value be seen and not have it in the church, where else can you get it? Because it's the body of Christ where God has said, I want you to experience my love and my goodness. I want you to be a part of my family. Amen? Let's look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 8. We said that we're talking about remembering this. Remembering this, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I thank God through Jesus for every one of you. Now he's speaking to the church. He says, that's first. People everywhere keep telling me about your lives of faith. And every time I hear them, I thank God. And God, whom I so love to worship and serve by spreading the good news of His Son, the message, it says, knows that every time I think of you in my prayers, which is practically all the time, I ask Him to clear the way for me to come and see you. Then the longer, that, uh, the longer this waiting goes on, the deeper the ache. I so want to be there to deliver God's gift in person and to watch you grow stronger right before my eyes. But don't think I'm not expecting to get something out of this also. He says, you as much, or you have as much to give me as I do to you. 
Now, why did I share that with you? Because the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm remembering the local church. I'm remembering the church family. In fact, there's something so significant about you as a church that everywhere that I go, people are talking about your living faith. Isn't it interesting he says living faith? Do you know that there's a lot of churches out there that people are full of dead faith? I said there's a lot of churches, a lot of denominations that just simply go through the motions and it's dead faith. But he said there are people that are constantly reminding me of your living faith. And he says, and I can't wait to get where you're at. I can't wait to see you. Come on. What about being the church that understands who we are in Christ? That we develop faith, that we develop hope, that we develop love. And then as we begin to remind ourselves of who we are, what we're called to do, that people begin to talk about the living faith of who you are. And just as Paul says, man, I I hear about it all the time. And every time I pray, it seems as though I'm reminded by God to pray for you. And man, I, I just have such a great expe- expectation to come and spend time with you, hang out with you, and give you something that God has put on my heart. But listen, it's not just about me giving to you and you receiving. Man, you got something to give me. Man, you're people of faith. You're people of hope. You're people of love. And every time I get around you, I leave different. I leave being uplifted because you've got something to offer me. Come on, church. We are not just a church that's sitting still, sitting idle. God's called us to be a church that has living faith within a community. That people talk about you as individuals. Talk about your faith. Talk about your church. And if there's ever a church that they're talking about, hey, I remember. I remember there's a church. When they go through the hard times of life, when they go through the challenges, when they go through the struggles, I remember there's a church over there. I remember there's a people that have living faith. I remember there's a people that loved me when I was in a bad place one time. Amen? See, God's called us to be a church to make a difference. But if all we'll do is go through the motions of life, we'll forget to remember And life will start to overtake. Last week I shared with you that if we're not careful that life can just become numb. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, just as I was preparing for that and just even after that, it's like there are just areas in life that you can so easily become numb. That's just... Going through the motions. Going to church can be just going through the motions. Being numb. But God says, I want you to experience a living faith. Amen? He says, the longer that I'm away from you, I just ache. I miss being with you. How do you look at your church? Do you just miss being around the people? Man, I just love doing life with you. Or is life so overwhelming, so busy, that church is just something that you put on the calendar if it fits? 
Listen, God wants us to learn how to do life together. Amen? In Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12, it says this. It says, do not let sin control them or control the ways that you live. Do not give in to the sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil or to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God for you'll... For where you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right and do right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirement of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So what's he saying about that? He's saying, don't just live this life to serve you. Find your purpose. What's the meaning of life? He says, when you purpose to give God you, you live under grace. Amen? You know, church was never meant to be a place where people come and get beat up. You know, I don't know what kind of church you were raised in, but there was churches that I was raised in, and man, they could preach and teach hellfire and brimstone real good. You know, I mean, they'd fill up the altars. People coming, I want to know Jesus. But they're just scared to go to hell. Well, do you realize this being scared to go to hell doesn't has a, have a heart transformation? It's just like, man, I better get right with God. I want to turn or burn. I don't want to burn, man. I'm going to turn, right? But I'm talking about a heart change to where it's like, God, I want to know you to where my faith is living, to where I have hope, to where I have just a desire to do life with the body of Christ. Right? In fact, the Bible says this. It says it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. It's not condemning messages. It's the kindness of God. I said it's the kindness of God that turns people. Now, within church, obviously, you've got to talk about sin. You've got to talk about things. Why? Because, again, if we're just totally ignorant, we don't have an opportunity for God to begin to work on our hearts in some areas. But nevertheless, God isn't about condemning us, beating us over the head. He wants to love us and says, if you could only see what I see in you, if you could only see the value that I have in you, it would change our whole life. It would change our perspective. It would change our desire and our pursuits and that which we do from day to day. Come on, have you ever been around those people that just, man, they, they're just really heavy, condemning and critical and pointing out all your faults? Yeah, yeah. Husbands and wives and wives and husbands and looking at everybody else. Listen, here's one thing that I can guarantee you. If you see somebody, know somebody, live with somebody that is constantly criticizing all the things that you're doing wrong, then here's what I know for certain, that their own personal life isn't all that prim and proper. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, the very things that you judge others for are the things that you're guilty of yourself. What am I saying? That's not what God's about. God is not about beating you over the head and saying, get right, turn or burn. No, he wants us to come into a relationship with him, knowing him through the local church, helping to develop our faith, developing our hope, developing walking in love. And the Bible says that it's contagious when you get around people that are like that. I said it's contagious when you get around people like that. Now, it's also infectious when you get around people 
that are critical. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you get around critical people, you'll start to be critical yourself. I mean, I got kind of critical after I got married. I mean, it just, yeah. <laughs> no. Just thought I'd throw that in there wake you up. See some of you sleeping. <laughs> right? If you hang around critical people, you'll become critical. But if you hang around life-giving people, you'll become life-giving. If you hang around people that are positive, you'll think positive. When you hang around people that have hope, you'll get hope. When you hang around people that are loving, you'll become loving. Right? And I said, it's contagious. You just want to be around people that are like that. Why? Because there's something fulfilling about it. There's something uplifting about it. So those three things that we said concerning church. What does God desire for us? First of all, we said that kindness leads people to repentance. As it comes to the church, Paul said this. He says, I've got an expectation. I've come to give what I've got, but I've also come to receive. What is it that we give and we receive when we come together? We said it's faith, hope, and love. Well, when you come to church, how does your faith grow? You hear the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But did you know that if you don't have hope, your faith still don't work? Because when it comes to hope, hope is an expectation of something that you can't see, touch, or feel. When I start to have hope, when it seems like things are hopeless, we as a body come together and lift each other up and encourage our faith, encourage our hope and our expectation. But then the Bible says, love never fails. And he says, you can have faith that moves mountains, but if you don't have love, the the one translation says you're a useless nobody. So when you come to church, what do you get? You get faith. You get hope. You develop in love. Why? Because God has called us as people to change the landscape. I'm reminding us of what God's called us to be, what he's called us to do, and how we're to do it. To have a life of faith, a living faith. To be people of hope that don't look at the landscape of what is, but look at what God said it can be. And then the people within the realm of who we do life with love them so much that they can't help but hang around us because it's contagious. Amen? Lastly, in John chapter 17, verse 21, it says this. He says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Those are some interesting words. He says, Father, I pray for the church that they would be one or united as you and I are one. Think about that. Jesus is as close to his father as actually being one and the same. Right? And he says, I desire that the church becomes that closely knit together like us. And what is the foundation of who God is? Love. And he says, when they do that, he says, everybody will know. Listen. It's hard to make progress when it's just sporadic. In fact, let me put it this way. We said there's faith, hope, 
and love. Let's just say for the sake of, your, of an example, you named one finger faith, you named one finger hope, and you named one finger love. If you bound those three fingers together and left them bound together for a year, do you know what would happen to your three fingers? They would grow together. They would become one. You see, when we come together as the church, we begin to become one. We begin to grow in faith. We begin to grow in hope and we begin to grow in love. And therefore, when you're going through some challenges of life, because we're one, because we're together, we uplift one another, we encourage one another, we stand by one another, and we get through it together. And when we do that, we walk in unity, and it becomes contagious. Amen? People need what you have, but we've got to be able to come to a place where people want what we got. Why don't you stand with me? God's put things in each and every one of us to make a change. God's wanting you to remember this. That what you see in the mirror does not define who you are. But God has placed such a value on you. That he sent his son to die for you. And he desires for each and every one of us. To be able to share that love with somebody else. And your faith and your hope and your love is what is the attracting thing I went to a birthday party just yesterday for a little boy that turned three years old and one of the family members was there and as we started talking we found out that we knew somebody in fact this somebody was a father of of a child that our daughter is friends with this man is not a Christian man But this man that I was talking to that knew him actually worked with him. And he says, that guy is such an awesome guy. He said, you couldn't find a more upstanding guy. He said, you would never find a guy that has more values or just is a solid individual. But he's not a Christian man. And to look at him, he's extremely intimidating. He's got tattoos all over the place. He's got a shaved head. He's got a long goatee thing sometimes he braids it I mean he just looks like a rough tough kind of guy but the more that I've gotten to know him I mean he's just a softy he just looks hard on the outside his mom passed away just not too long ago but on a Sunday morning this guy went to the pharmacy to get some medication for his mother and as he's standing in line there looking the way that he does tattoos bared and Long, shaggy beard, bald head, looking just as rough as you can. I mean, you know, just he, he, look, he looks mean. A guy behind him, dressed in a suit, just coming from church probably, says, I bet your mom is so proud of you. And he said, I didn't say anything to him. He said, I just went about my business, got my mom's prescription and left. But this is what he said. 
He said, I bet that guy just got out of church. And that's the response I got from him. Well, that's what a lot of people think about church people. Judgmental. Looking at them down the nose. Being critical. Listen, God's not that way. He needs us to be people of faith. People of hope. People of love. Can you see somebody through the eyes of faith that looks rough, looks mean, smells bad, and says, God placed a value on them? Can you see somebody that everybody else walks by but have hope that God has a plan for their life? The one that just seems as though they've always messed up and there's no hope for them, but they come to you and they just need somebody to... Let them cry on their shoulder. Do you have enough compassion on the inside of you to be able to love on them in spite of all their failures and say, God still loves you? Where they would never once step foot in the church before. In fact, let me, let me say this to you. Do you realize that for most people, their next step may not be coming into a church? Their next step towards God is coming to know you and having a contagious desire of what you have. Because of the hope and the faith and the love that you have that bubbles up and shows them who they can be. Because you believe in and can see the worth of who they are. Because we have faith and we have hope and we have love. Amen? God has called us to make a difference in this community. And I challenge us this morning. Can we slow down long enough? Can we really begin to prioritize life to where we can say, what is the true meaning of life? Because there's going to be a day where I stand before God face to face and I'm going to know everything that God knew about me then. I don't want to be there and say, God, I was so busy doing this and doing that and being distracted here and there that I never knew that that's really what you thought and saw in me. That that's what you wanted for me to live and experience in this life. I was so busy about me, I didn't realize that you had all that in store for me. And I'm going to tell you, listen, God is not wanting you to give up you. He just wants you to give place to Him. Because I realize for some, we'll say, listen, you're, you're trying to change something. No, I don't want you to change nothing. I just want you to turn your eyes toward heaven. And the moment you do that, the moment that faith begins to grow, the moment that hope starts to stir, the moment that we walk in love, there is a byproduct that comes that the want-tos of life just begin to dissipate. This is the last thing that I'll share. Reverend Kenneth Hagin, he was a mentor of, of mine, just a great man of faith. And he talked about individuals in his church when he pastored, you know, umpteen years ago. And he said there would be people that would come to him and say, well, pastor, you know, I'd come to church, but man, I've got all this stuff that I'm dealing with in my life. I've got these habits. I've got these things that I just, I seem to be just snared up by. And, and, and until I get that right, God, he says, I'm not going to come to church and he says I tell you what here's what I recommend you do the next time you do that whatever that is 
that which you're feeling condemned about. He says, in the midst of doing it, he said, just give God praise. So you're doing drugs, you're drinking alcohol, you're smoking, whatever it is that you're doing. And you know there's that gnaw on the inside that is like, oh, I want to be free. When in the midst of doing it, just start praising God. Ha <laughs> ha! Praise God. Thank you, Lord. I'll praise you in the midst of what I'm doing right now. You say, well, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. No, that's living a life of faith. That's seeing the hope of what God said he desires, and that's for you to be free. And understanding, you know what? God loves me. Are you getting what I'm saying? See, again, God's not condemning you. He just wants you to walk in the fullness of what he has. Amen. Let's bow our head and I'll pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every single person in this place. I thank you that, Lord, you want us to remember everything that you said is available for us, everything that you've called us to. And God, as we remember this, as we continue to step in in this new series of remembering what you've called us to and what you've made available to us, Lord, that God will grow in our faith, that we'll stir up hope and we'll continue to grow in love. God, we thank you that you see us as worthy and you see value on us. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, I have value. Say, I'm worthy. I'm loved by God. I'm a somebody going somewhere to happen. Because God loves me. God calls me. And God provides for me. Because I'm God's best. And He loves me. In Jesus' name. Amen. subscribe to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites which can be found at our website gvchurch.tv we know that today's message has been a blessing to you thanks for listening we are genesee valley church loving god loving people and loving life